The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. LinkedIn presents. And so my question for you is, how do I open up the next chapter without it becoming filled up with things that don't serve my best interests of... So loss and grief, they're experiences that none of us will escape, but some losses are so deep, they shatter your model of the world and lead to a re-examination of how you want to spend your time on the planet, in work, in relationships, and life. And that's the theme of today's conversation on the Spark Podcast, where following the loss of a child, our listener, Scott, finds himself at a sudden crossroads midlife. He's left a long career in financial services in search of something new and more fulfilling. Something that feels more intentional that will quench the quest for knowledge and create a thirst of his maven maker sparkotype combo. And while Scott's experience was unique and profound and many people's biggest fear, no doubt, many of us have endured existential disruptions over the last few years that have led to a re-examination of all parts of work and life. And we've wondered, how do we do And we've wondered, how do we best use our time when we're closing the chapter on something we've done for decades? How do we honor and integrate the profound upheaval and change grief and loss can instigate? And how do we open up the next chapter intentionally without feeling drawn into things that don't serve our interests, innate impulses, and fullest expression? And on deck with me this week from the Spark Brain Trust to help tease out what really matters and share insights and ideas is founder of Parachute Executive Coaching, acclaimed executive coach, advisor to senior leaders for more than two decades, and the author of two great books, The Accidental Alpha Woman and The Complete Executive, Karen Wright. So quick note, you'll hear us mention something we call sparkotypes in conversation. Well, what is that? Turns out we all have a unique imprint for work that makes us come alive. This is your sparkotype. When you discover yours, everything, your entire work, even parts of your personal life and relationships, it just make more sense. And until we know ours, we're kind of fumbling in the dark. And just like today's listener did, you can discover your Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. You'll find a link in the show notes. Now, on to Scott's story and question. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Spark. Hi, Jonathan. My name is Scott. And during COVID, I had an extra helping of challenge where my 19-year-old daughter passed away from a very rare and aggressive cancer, which caused me to reevaluate everything in my life. While I have a very supportive boss and, and a great team, after 35 years in financial services, I've decided to close this chapter on my career at 55. As a maven and maker, it has drawn me towards physically making things. So very different approach to financial services where moving from a desk job to think about how to make different things in different modalities. And it's been very refreshing and really a part of who I was before I randomly took a job in this space in 1989. And so my question for you is how do I open up the next chapter without it becoming filled up with things that don't serve my best interests of being a maven and maker? The best advice I have 
received to date has been take six months and say no to everything that comes your way. And from there, you'll have clarity. I look forward to your thoughts. Thanks. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. Mm, first, yeah, uh, I think I speak for both of us and just sending love. Ugh. Huge. Um, I, I, as a parent, I know you would say this, I can't even imagine. So yeah, lots of love. Yeah. Um, so let's just start there, acknowledging the humanity um, and, and what he's been through. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I've actually been, as we record this, I'm literally like coming out of a month-long creative sabbatical. And part of that was just thinking about life, thinking about my life, thinking about the life of those who I love and, you know, acknowledging that I'm at an age where, you know, there's in undoubtedly less time in front of me than there is behind me. No matter how much biohacking I might try and do, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, like probably the truth and, and, and who knows how long or short that may be. And I think sometimes when like a lot of us who are a little bit further into life, like start to think about these things, but the notion of, um, our life versus the life of someone we love being the triggering event that makes us reimagine is just, it's a whole different thing. I can't wrap my head around it. I'm sure you can't, neither of us want to, but just acknowledging, um, you know, uh, for Scott, what, what he has been through, what he's going through and, and wishing, you know, like just as much room to breathe and be and think and, and feel, um, as possible along the way. And, you know, which I think brings, you know, he's got some really big, legitimate, powerful, important questions. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, and I think you and I both have probably have things to say and to share and ideas around that. And at the same time, not just walking away from the notion of you and I were literally just talking about this in the context of our lives before we, you know, like we had this, you know, we make plans, God laughs. Um, and so anything that's offered up here during a window, a moment, a season like this, hold lightly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love, I love the idea of um, kind of leaning towards things that give you joy when joy was probably, it felt like it got stripped out pretty hard and fast from the sounds of things. So, so to want to connect more with activities or pursuits that feel better. And in the case of a maker, it really is about feeling better. It's a more sort of tactile, um, kinesthetic sort of um, orientation in many cases anyways. Yeah, I, I appreciate the interest in really orienting towards something that feels better 
rather than the thing that's familiar. And clearly, I mean, he's had a long career, he's been successful. And, you know, there's a whole lot of value and honor in, in all of that. But I mean, I think what we've all gone through in the last few years is causing a huge number of us to ask these questions of ourselves and then to have an inciting incident like what Scott has gone through um, layered on top of what we as a world have gone through. Yeah. I mean, connect with the things that, that feel right and feel good and make you well, that spark you. Yeah. And, and, and we can talk about this in the context of the sparkotypes, you know, Scott shared is a, a maven and maker, but also more broadly, <laughs> Yeah. Things that have nothing to do with your spark type right now, if it just takes you, if it makes you feel, if it makes you feel good, if it lets you breathe, yes, you know, just create space for it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we've got a whole bunch of data and a whole bunch of like a lot of interesting insights about these, these impulses, in particular the spark types over you know, the last five years or so. And one of the things that really surprised me was and we don't have granular data on this. We're looking to actually potentially run a next round of studies on it. But the volume of anecdotes, story-based data that has come back to us over the last couple of years, over the last like sort of like the, the term of the intense part of the pandemic, with folks saying something that I actually didn't see coming. Karen, maybe you did, like before me even, but we would hear some version of a story where people would be like, you know. In the middle of all of this stuff, I started doing, I just started doing more of the work. Like I discovered my sparkotype and I just started doing more of that. And, and very often not in a, like in a job context, just on the side, sure. you know, as a hobby, as a passion, because like, you know, during the hour or night where instead of watching TV or on the weekends, whatever it may be, they just started turning to doing more of this thing. And you know, we talk about sort of the metrics that we measure, you know, like access to flow and meaningfulness and purpose and excitement and energy. Yes to all of those. Like there, we do have a database connection to doing the work of your spark type in those states. But what people started sharing with us was that going through a brutally hard world turning upside down on a, on a moment by moment basis experience, it was letting them breathe again. It was letting them feel like, they could touch stone. It was like the, a couple people use the phrase, like I was, I felt like I was, I was home or I was coming home to myself. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder if you've, if you've either like what your take is on that or whether you've had any sort of like feedback um, with any of the, like your own personal experience or, or folks that you've been working with over these last few years. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I've certainly heard a lot in the last few years, but prior to the pandemic, I would relatively frequently hear it from people who were at about Scott's career point, hmm. 25 or 30 years, long, successful career, pretty much achieved all of the things that they ever thought they might achieve. And then there's this moment of, hmm, um, you know, I've probably got a few, <laughs> quite a few good years left in me, but probably fewer ahead of me than behind me. And is this it? And is this kind of how I want to spend the good years I have left? Or am I okay with having put aside a great many of the things that maybe once interested me? Because, you know, when someone is very successful in a, in a professional career, they've had to make some choices. They've had to prioritize. They've had to say, okay, you know, I've got enough time for this and this, but not for maybe some of these other things. So um, at one point I characterized it as a fulfillment crisis. Um, that there is just this moment of, oh, I think maybe maybe there's something missing or something more or something I wish I could weave back into my life. And then, as I say, I think what's gone on the last couple of years has just exacerbated that. And it's in invited more people 
to really question how am I spending my time and am I am I finding joy and happiness everywhere I possibly can? And I think in the last couple of years, we can all agree we had fewer places to find joy and happiness. So uh, if it felt good to make sourdough bread or beaded jewelry or whatever, great, then we should do that. Yeah, I, I remember... Um... You know, I'm out in Boulder, Colorado right now, but we spent the first um, nine months of the pandemic in New York City. And I remember going online and seeing that there was a global shortage of flour. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, We couldn't find it on any shelf in New York City as much as we wanted to like bake. But there was, there's something to that, you know, and it's interesting that you're reflecting that this is also, it's not just about the, the upside down nature of the last two years. For many people long before that, it was about entering a certain season. Mm-hmm. of career and life where there's a, a almost like a, a moment of of reckoning where you're kind of like, huh, if I think back, you know, and, and even if you've checked all the boxes like that, and like, you know, the indicators of success, do I feel the way I thought I would feel having checked all those boxes? Right. And exactly. so often the answer is no. And then the question becomes like, is there a way to do it differently? Like, you know, yeah. like if what got me here ain't going to get me there, then what might? Yeah. Yeah. And for anybody who's achieved a lot, I, at one point I knew a man who had climbed Mount Everest and the question that he said, most other climbers that he knew asked themselves were what, what do I do after this? Mm. And fortunately this particular person was in a position where he kind of found a new, a new mountain to climb, a new arena to conquer, a new thing to pursue and become good at. But he said, not everybody did. And that was a very hard thing to sort of pivot and say, okay, well I did this. Now what? No. Yeah. I want to focus on something that Scott shared um, towards the end of what he shared with us. And Scott said, the best advice I have received to date has been take six months and say no to everything that comes your way. And from there, you'll have clarity. Talk to me about about this. My advice would be almost the polar opposite. Mm. Um, Because I think we only really start to learn about ourselves when we explore new things. Now, if the advice is when the recruiters call with another financial services job, say no, that's probably good advice. Um, Because after a 30 odd year career, you can probably afford to take six months and not re-engage. And he said he's got a supportive boss and a great team and so on. So it may very well be that he's still where he has been for a long time. But I want Scott to be saying yes to a whole lot just because I would want him to notice how he feels when he tries new things. And... Uh, have the courage to kind of explore a few new frontiers and just allow serendipity or inspiration or whatever to to show up and see what happens. I just, I think that's a gift that we don't give ourselves often enough. So I'd be saying yes to more. Mm, it's I'd interesting. I, I had the exact same reaction. Um, and I, I always have to temper it with the fact that I am, I'm in business with my wife and have been for years. And even when we had like separate career paths, I would be the one coming home wildly excited about the possibility of this and that and this and that. Like there's a new thing here and there's a new thing there. And she's amazing at saying, yes, and (laughs) we've got a family to take care of. Like what's rational, what's realistic? How do we green light this in a way that lets you like explore a bit, but you know, like doesn't take everything off the rails. Um, You know, there's, so I, I am somebody who kind of is on the perpetual yes train. You know, barring that once I actually have something that like is really calling to me, then I tend to be on the perpetual no to everything but this thing um, train because I I just know it serves me better and makes me happy. But when you're in the early 
sort of like reimagining phase, when you're in the exploration phase, when you've, when you've decided, you, you know, when you're at that, what got me here ain't going to get me there point, but you don't know what that next thing is, or, but you do know some of the things, the impulses you want to bring to it. I agree with you. I think it's sort of like, it's almost like, you know, like the default becomes yes, unless there's a, a reason that you can point to that's really strong for it to be no. And, but I also want to qualify that by saying that I'm not necessarily talking about yes to like only changing careers or trying different jobs. It's like, to me, it's a much broader exploration than that. For sure. For sure. And it, it could be new foods and new restaurants. It could be new kinds of music. It could be, you know, it could be anything. But I just think to open up the landscape and and be open to possibilities. I mean, I'm much more of a natural water bug than you are. Um, I remember one at one point somebody telling me, they, 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 they acknowledge me for having a lot of ideas. Not all of, our, of them are good. <laughs> And so, you know, I think we do have to temper ourselves a little bit and maybe not go whole hog into every new idea. But I do think that being willing to consider a whole lot of options and possibilities just to see, you know, just to just to try something new. And then if, when it comes to making a choice about professional pursuit or vocation, um, I will often get clients to start with lists of musts, shoulds and nice to haves. And so if Scott is saying this tactile experience of making is something that he's finding really gratifying, it might be there needs to be some dimension of making opportunity in whatever he chooses going forward. You know, the must list, I like to think, is, a, is quite a short list. But I also know that when we think about the, how the sparkotypes show up, we don't have they're not always literal. You know, I know people who consider making to be the creation of a great PowerPoint presentation for a sales meeting. Right. Um, so, you know, making can take a lot of forms and it's not always a, a physical product. So that's the other thing to consider as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it can show up in experiential ways. It can, it, 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 there are so many different ways. That kind of brings brings up something else that, that Scott shared actually just before he sort of like shared the, you know, like what other folks have been telling him about the six month of no window, which is... He shared a concern. He said, yeah, like, I want to want to figure out how do I open up the next chapter without it becoming filled up with things that don't serve my best interest of being a maven animator. And there's a fear element in there of, in my mind, it's sort of like there's, okay, I don't know how much I have here, but uh, I know it's, you know, like, it's, it's finite, but I don't know what that finite thing is going to be. But I, I want to use this time well. I don't want to waste a moment anymore. And look, especially after what he has like it has been through and is, I'm sure, continuing to move through and will be for some time, understandable in every possible way. So, you know, I, how do we how do you address that concern about I don't I don't like I, I don't want to waste a moment doing something that somehow will quote be wrong. Yeah. I mean, there, there really isn't a wrong. And I don't know that I believe in waste necessarily, but when he said that about wanting to make sure he doesn't sort of allow the time going forward to get filled up, that I thought was in reference to, it would be very easy for him to just make a, a small shift in his existing field. That would be the, the low hanging fruit. And to be conscious about not doing that while giving himself some time to sort of settle and connect with some dimensions of himself that he's maybe left ignored for a little while. And I mean, the, the sad reality of what he's experienced is that he has space in his life that he didn't have before. And I mean, 
Um, I mean, I just, my, my kids have both recently left, um, uh, you know, are living on their own. So the empty nest thing is something that I'm experiencing. The fact that he had a child pass away means that there was time and attention that he was focusing there that now has no home. And there's a real rootlessness kind of feeling about that. I'm sure that I think, you know, I think there has to be some time given to just allowing for that and letting the feelings about that sort of settle and yeah, and to, and to not push it faster than it wants to happen organically. Yeah. A dear friend of mine, Megan Devine, um, who um, wrote this fantastic book, it, It's Okay If You're Not Okay. Oh, yeah. She, who, who lost her husband, you know, and also as a counselor and a therapist and, and really poured herself into understanding the world of loss um, and a lot of the, the traditional recommendations around grief, which she found to be completely um, unuseful to her. Yeah. And one of the things that she like shared, has shared with me a number of times in different ways is that, you know, there is no notion of once I get through this, there's no notion of the other side. There's the notion of like, this will change me. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's not a moving through. It's a, it's a moving with perpetually. Yeah. And how do I do that? And, and like you just said, the notion of not wanting to waste time, it's got, it, there's such an interesting tension here between not wanting to quote waste time. And I, I agree with you. I'm, I, I think it's actually legitimately hard to waste time. There's value in almost anything we do while at the same time, there's the urgency, which is very real while at the same time, there is the very real need to just allow space and grace. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert, a couple of years back when she lost her partner, described this to me as walking down the street and having her knees being taken out. Like she called them carve out moments. She's totally fine walking down the street. And then she's not. Mm -hmm. And she eventually learned. She's like, like rather than fight it, she's like, this is going to be the way it is for like whoever knows how long. And let me just create space in my life for it. Um, So there's this balancing, I think again, of the urgency of wanting to figure it out and wanting to bring more joy and more meaning and more purpose and more doing of things that will bring that to you along with, as you described, like the rootlessness and the adjustment and the space and grace to, to also to allow yourself to feel and be whatever way you need to feel and be for however long you need to, to do that. Well, and for me, part of, part of what Scott's talking about, and I can relate it to my own experience of losing a brother, when those moments show up that take you out at the knees, which you cannot predict and they won't end neatly at the end of a year or any other time frame that somebody says is the right amount of time. It's wonderful to have pursuits that you can turn to for comfort. Mm. And so if Scott's getting reconnected with making things, then yeah, have a few of those hobbies, pursuits, whatever it is that however he wants to describe them, that in those moments of sadness or surprise at the kind of intensity of the feelings, you can turn to some of those things and go, okay, I'm just going to, just going to do this for a little while and it will help. It won't solve everything, but it will help. Yeah. Regardless of circumstance, one of the recommendations I always have for anybody when they're sort of like at a moment of transition and they're trying to figure out like, how do these impulses in me, what do they look like manifest in the world, right? Because saying you're a maker, is okay, so we've defined the impulse, but that doesn't tell you what the channel is, right? you know, and there could be 
thousands, there could be millions of different channels. So, and the only way to, like, I I am not aware of a process that will allow you to think your way into, oh, well, these are the, the two or three or four channels that would really be most appropriate to me. You get intuitive hits that like, like draw you towards something or you're reading something, or you see something or you yeah. try something for a hot minute and you're like, ooh, like yeah. it's doing something to me. And then you follow that thread. So to, so to me, and again, this goes back to like your earlier comment about like saying yes. Yes, not just to doing, but yes to exposing yourself to ideas. Yes to exposing yourself to conversations, to reading about, to watching about, to listening about for no other reason than to just like pay attention to how, like, is there like that tingling, that intuitive sense that says, oh, this is like, uh, this could be interesting, which might lead to three hour workshop one night at a local community center, which is like, oh, wow. Like, and then just like constantly saying yes to all these different things, running these micro experiments for no other reason than to let them tell you how you feel doing these things on a deeper and deeper level. And these days, it's so easy to have those little micro-experiment opportunities. They are everywhere. I mean, sometimes I'll get a client to go to the magazine section in a big bookstore and Mm. just grab everything that jumps out and then sort them, spread them out, just see which ones call. And, you know, there have been some surprising findings. So um, you never know. But I think you do just, you know, the best thing you do is open yourself up and allow and then really just let the feelings show up, let those little sparks emerge wherever they wherever they choose to. Yeah. Well, I, f- I feel like we've kind of said what we're able to say <laughs> <laughs> around this particular thing. I hope I hope we haven't waded too far into Scott's immediate circumstance and what he's moving through. I'm sure he's getting tons of advice and, and input from so many different people and may not want to hear any of it. And so please feel free to take as much or as little of any of our thoughts along those lines um, in whatever way lands easily for you. And from the bigger picture question, really, I think... What we're both inviting is actually like really stepping into a a season of yes and not thinking of it as yes to big things that like are going to be big and disruptive and like must succeed on some level or like have, but yes to just like endless levels of micro moments and experiments for no other reason to just see how you feel. Very small commitments. Awesome. Thank you so much, as always, for everyone listening in. I hope you found this interesting and useful. Even if you're going through whatever your own version of a massive disruption in your life is, which so many of us have um, in recent years. Um, any final thoughts, Karen, or do you think we're good to wrap there? I think we're good to wrap. Scott, we wish you, we wish you the very best. Yeah, same, same. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life, and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life. Take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community 
so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.